Now today we are going to have our friend from Open Door speak. He is really fun. He is full of energy. He's a super cool guy. So would all of you give a very warm Woodland Hills welcome to our friend Steve Waynes from Open Door. Thanks, Vanessa. Well, hi, Woodland Hills. Man, it's good to be back. So good to be back. I love this place, and uh, I've had a great weekend so far. Uh, I love you. Your energy and the way you engage is beautiful and wonderful. So, uh, yes, and, um, and Greg Boyd is at, uh, he is at Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, so he's preaching there this weekend, and uh, I spoke to him yesterday, and uh, he's excited to be there, but kind of concerned about here, so I said, Greg, settle down, buddy. <laughs> it's really going to be okay. Uh, and uh, it's been really fun. We had Greg come to speak at Open Door a few months ago, and Dave Johnson came here, and we've really been loving this back and forth thing, and hopefully it happens more in the future. So, uh, a question for you as we start, and here's the question. As you pulled into the parking lot this morning, and as you made your way into this room, and then sat on these beautifully comfortable gray seats, <laughs> what were you expecting? What were you expecting when you came in? Maybe some of you come to church you know, every weekend. Maybe some of you haven't been to church in years. For some of you, church is as familiar as an old pair of jeans. For others of you, it's really different and uncomfortable. Uh, but what were you expecting? I think one of the primary metaphors I've heard in my life to describe when especially Christians talk about sitting in church and especially as when we open up God's word and they'll say things like, man, it's just, I'm looking forward to a meal that I can sink my teeth into and get nourished by. And on one level, I love that metaphor. I think it's really cool. I think I hope, you know, opening up God's word is like honey on our tongues. I hope it's sweet. I hope it's nourishing. I hope it's all those things. But on another level, I think that metaphor lacks potency. Uh, when I was in 10th grade, I had a uh, chemistry teacher. His name was Mr. Heinen. And Mr. Heinen was a mad scientist. I mean, he truly was. Always had a pair of goggles on. His hair was always super messed up, like... Are you using product to make it do that? Or does it naturally do that like that? And many times as we would walk into the classrooms, the Bunsen burners would be fired up, the beakers would be in it, and he would have this gleam in his eye, and he would say, students, goggles on. You know, it's like, whoa, man. You know, we put those goggles on, and then he would pour like a red liquid into one of the beakers, and then he would pour a, pour a green one into, well, but nothing would happen, and then he would really kind of smirk, and then he would grab what he called the activating agent. He's like, all right, people, now we're doing it. And he poured in that activating agent, smoke. Sometimes it was yellow smoke. Always it was, it was an explosion. Sometimes there was broken glass. Uh, every once in a while, kids had to be ushered to the nurse's office. It was crazy. And uh, what I want to submit to you is what if, what if that's what we should expect? 
when you and I gather together different people from different backgrounds and even some different ideologies, when we get together and God's Spirit is present and God's Word is broken open, what if it was like, man, you better have your goggles on because something's about to happen. Not because someone's a great speaker or not because someone's a great listener, but because God's Spirit is active. It's an activating agent when we open our lives to it. So, students, goggles on. Let's pray. God, um, we open our lives to you right now as the only person that has any shot at changing us into who you want us to be. We come to you exactly as we are and not as we should be. We come to you as we actually are with all of our fears and even all of our sin, with all of our secrets. And we ask you to enter into our story like an activating agent and transform us into your church so that what you want done in St. Paul and in Minnesota and all over the world, especially in our hearts, can happen. We want to partner with you, God, in doing what only you can do as we partner with you. Help us to see it, hear it, and follow it. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, that was just the intro. Now we're diving into the text. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Open Door is also in Colossians. And as I was talking to Greg, and he was explaining to me, yeah, we're almost done with chapter 2, and we've been in it for about a year and a half. I laughed at him, and I said, Greg, you know, we spent two years in chapter 3. So good luck. Buckle up. You know, we're going to be you know, well into uh, the next presidency by the time you guys get done with chapter 3. It's going to be beautiful and amazing. But Colossians starts with this beautiful hymn in Colossians chapter 1 when we read about the cosmic Jesus in whom everything is created, by whom everything holds together. Jesus, we read, is the exact representation of God. He's the image of God. He's the one we look to when we wonder what God is like. And this cosmic Jesus is above all things and under all things. And in him all things hold together. And it's this beautiful, amazing, wonderful picture. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert right now because I'm going to tell you how it wraps up. Colossians 4, verse 6 Here we go, from cosmic back to kindergarten. Let your conversation, now we're talking about how we talk together. It's kindergarten again, people. Always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation. Be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. To which I have a question, like, okay, what is the Greek word for always? You know, is that sometimes, is that, you know, every once in a while, is that most of the time, is that kind of like when I want it to be, is that always, is unfortunately always. Always. 
And I think Paul is writing these amazingly simple but hauntingly complex words that aren't at all about kindergarten. I think they're grad school level seven. The reason why he's writing these words to you and me is because most of the time our conversations look more like this. All right, husbands and wives in the room, elbow-free zone right now. Uh, I think our, our conversations end up looking like this because we are so desperately afraid that we will never be heard unless we pick up the megaphone and are louder than the person we're talking to. And you know what happens, though, you know, because no one ever says, like, Hey, could we, could we just, could we put the megaphones down for a minute? And I, I just want to listen to you. I just, I want to listen. I just, that's all I want to do for the next two hours is, is, is listen. How many times has that happened to you in this last week? Or maybe you were a little agitated, you were a little upset, and the person you were talking to looked at you and said, Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm canceling my plans. I got nothing else to do except for listen to you. It doesn't happen. And so what happens instead is, now think of, this, think of a person that you're having a very hard time connecting with, that you're having a very hard time entering into conversations where what comes out of your mouth is full of grace. It might be full of something else, but it's not grace. And it might be, it's not seasoned with salt, it's like loaded with salt. Nothing but salt. And I think it's because we typically... We get situated right in our little stance, and there's the person that we're talking to, and there's the person that we're having a hard time giving grace to, and there's the person that we're having a hard time listening to, and we're saying, I'm not moving from this spot. I'm not. Until you do something. Until you listen to me. Until you give grace to me. I'm not moving. And so what happens? Stalemate. It's a big chess match and no one's playing anymore. And it's not just with people that all of a sudden you're in conflict with, husbands, wives, you know, maybe it's your mom or dad or maybe it's your roommate. Uh, maybe it's a coworker or your boss. It's like types of people. Or you're like, man, I, I get along with all these other people that like the same things that I like on Facebook. You know, but those guys over there that, woo, I mean, they're liking things that I, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with. They're way over there, and I, they should stay over there. And I'm not making one move toward them until they make a move toward me. And I'm not going to listen to them until they start listening to me. And this is an epidemic in our society right now. We are moving farther and farther toward the extremes. And, you, you know, you may say, well, Steve, I mean, you kind of got me wrong. I, I, I've never yelled a day in my life. In fact, I, 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 could, probably, I could probably stand a little yelling. I mean, I, 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 could, I could probably use a little yelling in my life so that people might actually know what I think. Well, m- my question back to you would be, okay, maybe you don't yell, but where, where are you? And I, I would submit to you that you're probably just as firmly entrenched in your position as the yeller is. Why do we do this? 
I think we do this because we're so afraid. We're just so desperately afraid that if we make one move toward the other person or the other type of people, we're going to lose ourselves and we'll never get listened to and we'll never you know, be given grace. And so we stay entrenched in our fear. And our whole world is just retreating to the extremes uh, because of fear. Now, I have three little boys. Um, Isaac is five years old, and then I have twins that are three, twin boys. So all three boys. Um, so you want to pray for my wife, that'd be, that'd be great. A lot of <laughs> testosterone in our house. Um, <laughs> and pray for me as well. Um, but my son Isaac, he's five, and this summer's been the summer of learning for him. It's been the summer of conquering his fear. He came up to us, uh, my wife and I, and said, guys, I am ready to take off the training wheels. This is like a month ago. He's like, it's time for them to go. You know, and I'm like, all right, Isaac, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have to carve out a couple hours because, you know, it's going to take you a little while to learn how to ride without training wheels. You know, it's not just like you're just going to go and you're going to fall a little bit and so we're going to put elbow pads on you and we're going to definitely make sure you're wearing your helmet. And, you know, the whole deal is going to take a while. So let's, I got out my iPhone and trying to get this, you know, calendar out. Where's a two-hour block of time? And he's just looking at me like, Dad, What? And so we finally got to that day. I took off the training wheels and I said, okay, Isaac, now how's this, how do you want this to go? I mean, do you want me to like, and I'm holding him like, you know, I got a, a rope around him and everything. And he, and he turns around, he seriously says, dad, I got this. I'm five. I'm like, all right. So I put my hand on his, the small of his back and he just started pedaling and off he went. And I mean, you know, every once in a while he was riding, he's looking back, hey, dad, whoa, and then he would be like, hey, you know, but he, he bailed every once in a while, but he learned how to ride his bike. He conquered his fear. And then another thing that he, he really wanted to do this summer was learn how to swim. So uh, my parents have a pool, and, you know, so every once in a while we'll go over there, so he's swimming, he's trying to put his face underwater, and then he's like, dad, I want to learn how to dive. Awesome. So I got in the water and I said, all right, buddy, you know, you're going to want to get to the right the edge of the pool and put your little toes over the edge and, you know, then you're going to dive right in. So his first move was to get like right here. <laughs> and no, what, what, what you're thinking is not going to happen. He didn't run. He was just like, I'm like, okay, dive in, buddy. You, you got to get a little closer, though. He's like, I'm fine over here. <laughs> well, just, you know, take steps. So, st- so eventually he takes steps. And then he gets up to, you know, to the edge. He looks at me and goes, Isaac, you have to dangle your toes off the edge. Your toes have to be hanging off the edge of the pool. And then you've got to kind of jump and dive in. So he does this, you know, and I, checks his life jacket, you know, firstborn, you know. <laughs> gets down like this. And then finally he jumps in. But his first jump was like he barely just, he kind of just slid off the edge, you know, just kind of whoop, you know, I don't, Dad, I don't. I'm like, yeah, you did, man. You want to try it again? He's like, yeah. And, and you know, and the next time, and then now, this is, this is how he dies now. <laughs> so this is up at the lake, you know, and, and he's like, I mean, it's crazy. He is all out. But here's the deal, you guys. He had to approach that line. And here's what I want to submit to you, our line of fear. 
is ultimately our line of change. That whatever it is that represents your line of fear in between you and that other person or that other group of people or that other, that other way of thinking, the farther away you get from that line and the more entrenched you get sitting at the other extreme, the farther away from change that you are, you have to get to a place where you approach that line and you dangle your little toes over the edge and you look at your father and you say, well, here we go. Here we go. So, what does it mean for you to begin to pour yourself into the beaker with the Bunsen burner turned on high, hoping that the other person is going to pour themselves in as well and wait for the agent of change to come? What does it mean for you to approach that space in between the two of you? Do you believe that it's possible that with this person that you're experiencing such conflict with, that your conversation is anything but full of grace back and forth with each other, do you believe that it's even possible for you to occupy a place of reality in the actual universe where something different could happen with this person, with this group of people, with this way of thinking. Do you believe that's possible? Well, uh, in college, I took a class called geology. I had to take geology because you had to take a lab science. And I was horrible at bio and horrible at chemistry, my experiences with Mr. Heinen in 10th grade notwithstanding. So I took rocks for jocks, right? That's what they called it. And I was neither a jock nor you know, a science guy, but I had to take a lab science. And uh, so I took geology, and then I was failing it, so I had to drop this class. It was very embarrassing. I had to take the walk of shame to the dean's office. Not sure if any of you have had to do that. It's very embarrassing. But um, so a few weeks ago, I, I started, when I was really deeply into this particular verse and this particular topic, I came across a geological phenomenon that just rocked my world. And it's a geological phenomenon known as ecotones. Ecotones. And what an ecotone is, is it's a transition area between two adjacent ecological communities. Hello, now we're in grad school. You're like, I have no idea what that even means. Why did it rock your world? Because it's certainly not rocking mine. Two adjacent ecological communities, like in the picture, like a mountain and the desert, when those butt up against each other, it's not like it's mountain, 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 until an imaginary line, and then it's desert, 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 desert. There's a space in between those two different realities, a transition area. And it's not always between a mountain and the desert. Sometimes it's between a meadow and a forest, or between the ocean and, and the land. But there's a transition area in which new life can grow. It's amazing. In this transition area, different animals sometimes come and habitate this little ecotone because things can happen in the ecotone that can't happen in one extreme or another. There is a reality 
in our geological communities that speak to the very thing that we're wrestling with right here in Colossians 4, verse 6, in your life and in my life, that there is a reality, there is a space between that exists where new reality and new conversation and new life can happen. But you got to put your goggles on. This woman that studies this, her name is Terry Tempest Williams, and uh, this is what she writes about ecotones. One of my favorite places to be are along the ecotone. It's where it's most alive, the edge of a forest and meadow, the ocean and the sand, and it's that interface between peace and chaos, right? We all love that interface between peace and chaos, right? No, we don't. We hate it. Give me peace or give me chaos, but don't make me go in between. And she writes, it's that creative edge that we find most instructive. So fascinating. She goes on to write some bad news. It's also the most frightening because it's completely uncertain and unpredictable. Goggles on, students. And again, that's where I choose to live. Space in between, the ecotone, the transition area, where conversation and life and reality can be born. What kind of person chooses to live with their goggles on? What kind of person chooses to live at the instructive edge, the creative edge between peace and chaos, where it's not just me and my turf standing over here, cemented into my opinion about this other person or about reality? What kind of person chooses to live in the space in between where a new reality can be born? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn into the Gospel of John chapter 4. We're going to meet just such a person who lived life with goggles on all the time. John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. So he that is... Jesus, of course, came to a town in Samaria. Stop right there. Samaria is a place that Jews didn't go to. Samaria is a place filled with what? Samaritans! Who were, according to most rabbis, people with whom you have no contact. Most rabbis or any uh, devout Jews would walk all the way around Samaria going miles and miles and miles out of their way if, they, if their Samaria was in between where they were and where they wanted to go. And some translations say, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I don't think he had to go through Samaria because like, you know, the circuitous route that normally people took was like closed. There was not construction going on in that area. He had to go through Samaria because he lived his life with his goggles on. He lived his life in that space in between. And so we're only like six words in and I'm sweating all of a sudden. 
So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob and Joseph are like two of the most famous people in Jewish history. There was Abraham, there was Isaac, there was Jacob, the forefathers of the Jewish faith. And Jacob's well was like this landmark of God's faithfulness to God's people, God's the, the, the children of Israel right here. Now it was in Samaria, though, in the first century. In this place that you couldn't go to if you were a devout Jew. And there it was, Jacob's well, just this massive, beautiful picture. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at this space in between called Jacob's well. It's about noon, we read, and I love the just weird details, like, you know, that's how you know that the Gospels are true, because they, they give little details that are kind of inconsequential. Like, well, it's noon. Oh, it's noon. Great. Hmm. Bet he was hungry. Hmm, interesting. Noon. You know, and, and it, it could be that the reason why the writer says it was noon is because normally women would come in the early morning and gather water, and then they would sort of hang out with each other, talk with each other, you know, get advice with each other about how to handle, you know, three-year-old temper tantrums when people just want to play with their, you know, DS all, all, all day, and, and they, didn't, they don't know how to interact with life, and so they did that. And then, but noon, the place was usually empty. So a Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water, and then, okay, well, just the next sentence is outrage. It's crazy. It doesn't happen ever, 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 ever. It's a nuclear bomb going off right here in the text. Boom. It's a chemical reaction. Jesus said to her. That never happened. Jewish rabbis didn't talk to women, didn't talk to Samaritan women for sure. And they especially didn't ask them for a drink. Didn't happen. Will you give me a drink? Well, we read her reaction. The Samaritan woman said, said to him, and I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what actually, like what the actual words were, but I think the, in, in the actual Aramaic or the Greek or whatever, it was like, she was like. <laughs> what is happening right now? He is talking to me. What should I do? How should I react? Should I say something? Should I not say something? Maybe I'm dreaming. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm interacting with it. Maybe I am dreaming. I mean, this, is, this never happens. This doesn't happen. This couldn't happen. This shouldn't be happening. This is wrong. I'm, I'm going to run away. I'm just going to run away. I'm just going to run. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run away. But she doesn't. She says, Captain Obvious, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with, with Samaritans. And they really didn't. And so she's like, you just dropped uh, activating agent into the beaker. Here I am. I'm the green liquid. Here you are. You're the red liquid. We shouldn't be mixing at all. We shouldn't be in the same beaker. The Bunsen burner shouldn't be turned on. And the activating agent for sure shouldn't be in here. But all of a sudden, now it is. Boom. Explosion. Here we are. Now we're living a better story. Now we're living a better story. And Jesus gets into her life and says, you know what? You, you come to this well every day to draw water, but I'm going to tell you that there is a person inside whom is living water, and if you drink that water, you'll never thirst again. And, you know, again, she could have been like, I'm out of here. This is weird. This is crazy. This guy's clearly insane. I'm out of here. But there was something in her that said, no, 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 goggles on goggles on. 
I'm going after it. She goes, sir, where do I get that kind of water? And he says, right here. I am that person. And this water is available to you for free. Have you ever encountered the God that does that for you? She didn't know it at the time, but when she walked up to Jacob's well, it was an ecotone created by Jesus to say a new reality is going to be born right here and right now. And he was willing to walk into a little tension. Remember that? He was like, well, you know, you've been married five times. The guy you're with right now is not your husband. And that really wasn't even a confrontation. It was just reality that if you were a woman, especially a Samaritan woman in those days, and your husband deserted you, you had three options. Become a prostitute. That's not a great option. Die, an even worse option, or get married again. Those are her options. And so Jesus was looking at her saying, we're going to enter into some tension right now. We're going to enter into your life right now. Uh, the word ecotone comes from the Greek word tonos, which means tension. So if you're going to be a person that's standing over here on this side, walking toward the ecotone, what do you know you're going to stand in? Tension. <laughs> Yay! Awesome! Just what I wanted to hear. If you dangle your little toes over the edge of your line of fear in that situation with that person or with that group of people, you need to know that you're going to be standing in some tension. So the question is, how do you do that and stay? I love this quote from this blogger that writes about ecotone. She writes, subtle or extreme, I love the idea that when two disparate, even opposing viewpoints meet, they create a new kind of landscape by the meeting itself. And that's what, exactly what happened with Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And then she writes, I wonder how this encounter, especially with someone I vehemently disagreed with, would change my outlook and my defining characteristics and whether the area of tension is a space I could actually stand to reside for very long. To which we say, amen, sister, you preach that because I don't want to stand in that area of tension for very long at all. Do you? I mean, it's brutal. How do you do that? So maybe you're, you're sitting there going, all right, I've identified the person, I've identified the situation where I'm camped out over here and they're camped out over there, and I'm, okay, you've, you're pretty persuasive, you've, you've made me maybe want to move at least one inch toward my area, toward my line of fear. Like, what would I do if I actually got there? <laughs> you ever think about that? So now you're away for the weekend together. Hi. Hi. We hate each other, don't we? Yes, we do. I guess I'm cutting meat right there is what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> so what do you actually do when you occupy that place? Well, let's go back to Colossians 4, verse 6 for a hint. When you're in that place, interfacing with that person, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Here's how I would define grace. There's a lot of different ways you could define it, but I define grace this way. It's an unexpected gift which greatly benefits everybody. So grace sometimes looks like 
just simply listening to their story. Saying to them, you know what? We're having this huge conflict, and I'm going to tell you that I absolutely don't know the whole story. There's things about you that I don't know. There's things that are making you do the things that you're doing that I have no idea how to fit the puzzle pieces together. And in fact, if I knew your whole story, I'd probably think you were a hero for just being alive. So tell me your story. You know, what would it be like if we simply said, First, I want to listen to you. That's a way to offer grace. Not even saying anything other than talk to me. Another way to offer grace is by saying the hard thing. In the last seven days, I've had three different conversations with people very close to me that have confronted me on something that I've done or said. Awesome. Now, the common denominator in all three of these circumstances was that they revealed what I did that kind of hurt them with such tremendous tenderness and grace that it made me want to change. Um, one of my coworkers in this meeting, um, you, can, you don't know me really, but you might imagine that every once in a while in a meeting, I might get a little energetic about an idea or something. And so this happened, you know, and the coworker a couple days later said, hey, do you got a few minutes? And I said, sure. And they said, you know, when you got all, remember when you got all big, you know, about that thing? And, and I'm like, no, I mean, yeah, I, I do. Well, I think you were trying to say something to me, but to be honest, I, I felt really small. And like, I didn't have a voice. So I had a hard time hearing what you were saying. So... But I really, it matters to me what you say, so can you say it again so I can hear it? Well, you know, what did I say? Like, good, I'm, I'm glad you want to hear that, so let me tell you what I... No, man, I was like, oh, wow, I'm so sorry. Thank you. And if I ever do that again, could you please confront me again? And it will happen again. It was grace. It was grace. That's grace. That's grace, too. That's a gift to everybody. Uh, one of my friends tweeted this picture of his journal. A couple weeks ago, his name's Dan, and he just tweeted this. Stop asking what's in it for you and start giving gifts that change people. And like, I was just like, that is brilliant. That is awesome. Like, so what would it mean for you in this space in between, in this ecotone, to kind of realize, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this for what's in it for me. Okay, back up, back up, back up. What, what would it be like to pray a prayer every morning that says, God, everything that I need, I get from you. So give me what I need so that I can move out toward people and give them gifts. I mean, you know... That would be a beautiful way to live. I'm not going to get what I need from them anyway. <laughs> so let's quit that, you know? Amen. Let's get what I need from God. God's the activating agent. We just need to get in the same beaker together and turn up the Bunsen burner so that the activating agent can work. Now, Colossians 4, verse 6 also talks about salt. And what I know about salt is this. That a little salt really helps, but too much ruins everything. 
And you know, in a conversation, there can be too much salt. There can be too much opinion, ideas, attitudes, and it can be overwhelming. And how you know if you have too much salt is if a pattern starts to evolve. When you're talking to people and all of a sudden, you don't think you hear a phone ring, but they, they pull, pull their phone out, you know? They're escaping from you. Ouch, right? Ooh. Well, let's, let's take this out globally. Church of Jesus Christ, 2012. Can we drop the megaphones? Can we please, please watch our salt? Because I believe what is called for in this day and age more than ever are Christians that are willing to occupy the space in between. That ecotone where a new conversation can be born, where we don't lose anything of what we believe about Jesus being the active agent that changes the world. We lose nothing of that. But all of a sudden we start talking to people that don't believe the same thing as us and don't think the same thing as us and have lots of opinions about hypocritical Christians and judgmental Christians. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting with one of these people and when I say to them, I just want to hear your story. I don't want to convince you of one thing. I just want to listen to you. You know what happens? All of a sudden, the possibility for a gift comes. This quote from Erwin McManus uh, is, I think, beautiful and brilliant when it comes to this. Truth should never travel faster than love. Truth should never travel faster. Well, they got to know where I stand. Okay. Then you'll be standing alone. What you believe and what is true is absolutely essential. But if it's not preceded by care and love, your message is gone. Church of Jesus Christ, what would it look like to follow the example of Jesus, the ecotone. Do you understand that Jesus himself is an ecotone? The transition area between God and humanity? In the person of Jesus is the only way we meet God. It's the only way we know what God looks like. It's the only way we know what God is like. I love what Greg says all the time, that the picture of God that we see is the most, that is the most accurate, that is the absolute thing that you can pin the tail on the donkey to, is God looks like Jesus on the cross. That's what God looks like. And the cross is the ecotone. It's the ultimate ecotone of all of history that says, at this place, God and humanity can meet. Because of what I have done, Jesus is the change agent that makes transformation possible. Yeah, you can, you can clap for that. That's good. Amen. And so, let's go from global to personal. Uh, if we had a big mall map sign like, like, where are you? Here's the person or group of people or idea or whatever that you're separated from. And like, so there they are. And then where, where are you? Here's the ecotone, a place where a new, new reality could exist. Like, where are you? Are you right up against it? Are you 10 miles away from it? Do you still have the megaphone in your hand? Have you occupied the ecotone for a while now and now you're just waiting? Well, wherever you're at, 
here's a message that you need to hear. When you choose to occupy the space between the ecotone, you will always find Jesus already there. Always. You can count on that. You can take that to the bank. That's where Jesus resides. Right in the place in between. Where reconciliation can happen between people groups, between people, between people who are estranged. When you, I mean, think of the person that you just feel so hopeless about. Like, you're like, that's never going to happen. It'll never happen. Never. And what Jesus might be saying to you right now is, well, why don't you just put your goggles on and approach me, and we'll wait together in the ecotone. We'll, we'll just wait together. I got time. I'm, you know, I'm outside of time. I can sit with you for as long as it takes. Do you believe that it's possible that the Jesus of Nazareth, in whom all things are held together, the one who represents the exact image of God, is the one that looks at you right now and says, I will wait with you at the ecotone. I am the agent of change until something happens. So get this person in your mind. And if it helps to close your eyes, close your eyes. Get the person in your mind. Get the type of person in your mind if it's not an actual person. And kind of visualize the space that's separating the two of you. And then see Jesus in between that space. And Jesus is not looking at the other person. It's so odd. We always want Jesus to look at the other person. Tell them to do that! <laughs> Jesus is looking at you. Because that's where Jesus is always looking when it relates to you. He's looking at you. And he's inviting you to come toward him. Remember, Jesus is the ecotone. The person of Jesus is the ecotone. So all you need to do is walk towards him. And you may, in, in the quietness of your own moment, if you're really dialed into this, you, know, you may have to say something to Jesus, like, no way. Like my son Isaac, he's way, way back, you know, away from that. I'm not going to dive in. I'm so, I'm so afraid. You, you, you just tell Jesus all that. I'm so afraid I'll get lost. I'm so afraid I won't get hurt. I'm so afraid of this. I'm so afraid of that. What do you need to walk toward Jesus? One of the things you need to know that Jesus, as the ecotone, will stand in between you and that person and will stay in between you and that person. The person of Jesus stands in between people, even people who love each other. We have a relationship with others through the person of Jesus. What do you need to walk toward Jesus? Come, Holy Spirit, into this moment, into this reality right now. Come, Holy Spirit. What do you need? When you know what you need, you just tell Jesus what you need. You just tell him. We can be absolutely, you know, irrepressible when it comes to get telling Jesus what we need. Tell him what you need. And see Jesus standing there, saying, Inside of me is a fountain of living water. You will never go thirsty. I am the bread of life. I am your shepherd. I am the one that searches after you when you're lost. I'm the good father. I'm the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the one you can come to and hide in.
Jesus, give us the kind of courage that it takes to approach our line of fear, to stand in that place and get from you what we need so that we can interact with every single person that we have to interact with inside of the ecotone where new reality can exist. Give us the strength to listen to your Spirit's voice and to follow your Spirit's promptings. In your name, amen. Well, I have a benediction for you if you'd like it, so I want to invite you to stand up and take a big deep breath in. That would be good. And blow that out. It's good. Some heavy stuff. So a benediction is something that God does for you. It's, it's sweet. You just receive it. So some of you may want to just put your palms out like this in a way of saying, yep, I'll, anything God has for me, I want. <laughs> Bring it on. So here's God's gift to you from 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you can abound in every good work. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Go with God, everyone. Thanks for having me.